Good. Well, I hope you enjoyed your time with Pastor Brad looking at roles of husband and wife. We are now going to kind of shift gears a little bit and look at the four rules of communication. Uh, Would you do me a favor and turn in your Bibles to the book of James? This is not in your outline. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And uh, we'll start off there. Now, it's important for us to realize that when I say we're going to shift gears kind of, sort of, that's because we're talking about biblical concepts of, uh, excuse me, a biblical understanding of communication, how we can communicate in a way that honors and pleases the Lord, that of course applies to our marriages, but not solely to our marriages. So we are still along that same vein of thinking, of course, when it comes to counseling and when it comes to counseling couples, many times in couples' marriages, many times in my marriage, one of the main issues that we're having is an issue of communication or miscommunication. But it should go to, I want to make sure that, this, that you're clear that this session uh, is not necessarily designated or designed for marriage counseling specifically. It is biblical principles of communication that would apply really to any human being as they're trying to communicate with someone else. James chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. Let me read quickly uh, up until verse, well, let's just go. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I want you to notice something from this text. I want you to notice the word pictures and the examples that James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uses here to show us uh, important concepts and important things about communication. Verse 4, look at ships. Although they are so large, they're driven by a small rudder. Uh, Back to verse 3, bits into the mouths of horses. Bits are small, horses are large. Um, How great, look at verse, uh, the end of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The concept here is that even though the tongue is small, even though uh, the mouth is is small compared to the rest of our bodies, it has the ability to do great good or great harm. It has the ability to build up or to tear down. I don't know if you're from the Cincinnati area or if you frequent downtown frequently, but there's a lot of development happening, particularly along the riverfront, really throughout the city, but particularly and especially along the area that we refer to as 
the banks. And I've been living in the area for almost, I think, about ten and a half years now. And I've even noticed change just in the small time that I've been here. I can only imagine what people have noticed who have been here for their lifetime. The banks and the riverfront is just a beautiful, beautiful area now to walk, uh, to walk around. Sarah and I go there for date nights. It's just a real pretty place to look at. But not too long ago, I don't know if any of you, raise your hand if you, under, if you remember, not too long ago it was a dump. Would you agree with me? Yes. Okay, good. Not too long ago, it was just, I mean, it was just bedlam. It was, you'd have no reason to go there, no, no desire to go there, and now it's beautiful. Something you see throughout the city are construction cranes, and that's usually a sign of development. A construction crane is usually used to build until you attach a wrecking ball to it. And then that same exact vehicle, that same exact monstrosity of a construction tool is used to do something that's the complete opposite of building up and used to tear down. In fact, a building was destroyed recently downtown Cincinnati, and one of my friends, he works, he's a crane operator there, and they used the wrecking ball to at least start it and to, to start the destruction that, that eventually led to its demise, and now they can rebuild. Your tongue, your voice, your mouth, the words you choose to use are just like that construction crane. We can build up. We can tear down. We can develop. We can build up. We can encourage. We can, uh, we can love. Or we can tear down. We can destroy. We can hurt. We can cause harm. So this is really important. This is a really important concept for us to gather our, our minds around. That our mouth, our tongue, our voice, the words that we use... These are important. It's not just words. And just because words have depreciated in the world's eyes does not mean that they've depreciated in God's. God really cares about how we communicate. So it's important for us to realize, and this is in your notes, that this session does not summarize all that Scripture says about communication. I don't know why we say that. There's no session that summarizes everything Scripture says about anything. But this session, suffice to say, does not summarize everything that the Scriptures say about communication. But what we're looking to do is highlight um, several truths about godly communication. Similar to what we just said, our words can bring life They can also bring death. We saw that in James. It's also in Proverbs. Our words originate in our heart and are the natural outflow of what we want and desire. Right there, Matthew 12, 34. An easy reference to remember, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? There's no real, there's no, it's never really true when you say I didn't mean that. You didn't mean to say that. But you don't say things you totally don't mean. You don't, you don't, you, you don't, I, I'm a, 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 a Mets fan, and I'm not a, anyone who goes here, who do I not root for? Not the Yankees. I'm not a Yankees fan because I'm a Mets fan and because I'm a Christian. And, and, and <laughs> if, there's never a time where I accidentally say something positive about the Yankees. How did that slip out? Oh, go Yankees. What, where did that come from? It doesn't, it, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. You don't accidentally say something that's nowhere on your mind and heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words originate in our heart and are the natural overflow of what we want, what we desire, what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. Um, You see, there's a, uh, uh, a quote there from War of Words, which is a great 
great resource by uh, Dr. Paul David Tripp. And he says this, there's a war going on within our hearts, a war for control. If you help me get what I want, I will enjoy and appreciate you. But if you stand in my way, I will experience and probably express anger when you are around. Our words should properly reflect our identity in Christ when we speak. Our words should be rooted, rooted in our identity in Christ. Uh, another quote from that book. To the degree that you have bl- based your life on something other than the Lord, to that degree God's love and the hope of the gospel will not comfort you and in turn will not be in your words. So, after explaining the put-off principle, the renew-our-mind principle, and the put-on principle from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, we're going to look at the four rules of communication. Now, just by, since I did not teach the put-off principle, just raise your hand if you know it's being spoken about. That was probably covered last time. Give me a, was it? It was? Okay. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Put off, be renewed, put on. Okay, good. So we can move on. That's an important principle for you to know. It's the, we're actually going to look at Ephesians 4. You can turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, verse 25 and following. The put off, be renewed, put on principle is the three verses prior to that. That's what we would focus on. That it's important that we put off the things that are uh, associated with our old self, that we be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and that we put on Jesus Christ. We put on the new man in Christ Jesus. And right after verse 24 comes verse 25, which is what we're going to be looking at now. So turn to Ephesians 4, 25. You're probably all there. I'm not there. Ephesians 4, verse 25 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to read through that for you. Therefore, having put away falsehood, so remember, Ephesians 4, 22 says, put off that which is with your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 23, put on uh, the new self created after the likeness of God. So in verse 25, it says, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you always want to know what it's there for. And it's always looking back. So it's looking back. Therefore, in light of this whole put off, be renewed, put on thing, therefore, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's get right to it. Rule number one based in verse 25. Be honest. Be honest. You say, thank you, Captain Obvious. We're Christians. We're told not to lie. This is really what I came here for? Wow. Well, calm down. Be honest is a really, really important command, and it's probably not as simple as you may think it is, okay? In Ephesians 4.25, it says, therefore, laying aside falsehood or putting off falsehood, depending on your, having putting away falsehood, uh, speak truth with each one, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, Okay, so we have to talk about what we need to put off. We have to put off falsehood. Put off 
falsehood. See, speaking the truth means that the one, uh, that one is giving the facts as they actually are without intending to withhold information, which would make the message difficult or impossible to understand. So it's not just don't lie. It's how you speak the truth. Do you speak the whole truth? Do you speak a half-truth? Are you intentionally thinking about how you speak truth so that it's taken in a certain way versus just saying it? Because in general, um, as it says in your notes, problems can't be solved unless they're, unless they're expressed. So I want you to look at verse 25 and notice something else. Speak truth might be obvious to you. But verse 25 also says this. Speak. Speak. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So problems can't be solved unless they're communicated. So you might want to just camp out there and realize that there's an imperative, a command for us to, at the very least, speak. So the silent treatment is hard to justify with verse 25, right? Uh, Not expressing something that has upset you with your neighbor or your friend or your spouse. Not communicating truth. I don't see a footnote in my Bible by verse 25 that says, speak truth with his neighbor except if you're married to and then your spouse's name. Or except if there's a situation where you would really prefer not to do that. We're told to speak. Problems can't be solved unless they're, exp- ex- unless they're expressed. How to speak the truth is, Im- is important, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And we also have to remember that people cannot read our minds. People cannot read our minds. I love my wife to pieces. I really do. But I hate the game, guess what Sarah's thinking? I hate that, like, so much. And, and she hates it when I make her play, guess what Peter's thinking? That's a miserable game, folks. I don't know if you've ever played that game or caused someone else to play that game. You know, the game where you are not sharing what's on your mind, but you're going to communicate it in different ways or not communicate it by giving them the silent treatment. Maybe it's in the way you say, I love you. Maybe it's the way you say things. I'm sorry. Okay. It's the the way you say things that maybe isn't exactly matching what you say. Okay. And I remember telling Sarah early in our marriage, I was like, no, no, don't, 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 what a moron. Early in our marriage. I would say, no, 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 it's not, don't worry about how I said it. Just, just focus on what I said. Just focus on the, the text. The text of what I said is what I mean. Just, if it was written on a piece of paper, that's what I mean. And she just cleverly reminded me that I'm not a piece of paper and that my words come with me. So there's words and then there's the Peter factor. And it's not just the, the, the piece of paper. There's also the words and Peter's heart. Because what did we say? Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to look at some common examples of dishonesty. So there's outright deceit. Okay, that's just an an all-out lie. Most, I'm not going to camp out there. Lies are wrong. We all know that. Moving on. But this is the stuff that we need to look at because most of us say, well, duh, yeah, lies are wrong. What about keeping a secret when it should be disclosed? What about when there's a truth that should be shared and you hold it back? Because you know it's going to be a rough ride. Or you know it's going to really bring the other person down. Or you know that even though it really should be shared, and it'll be better if it's shared, the road to better is going to be worse. So instead of 
Choosing hard now, worth it later, you choose easy now and what will ultimately be hard, hard later. How about exaggeration at inappropriate times? Um, speaking the truth, but using words like always and never. Which most times, unless we're talking about the Lord, are usually a bit out of whack because the Lord is constant. The Lord is consistent. The Lord is immutable, right? The immutability of God means he does not change. He never changes. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He, he also doesn't sleep. But, but he, he, the, the, nothing changes with the Lord. So to say always and never with him is, is many times consistent with the, with the scriptures. But for me to say that Sarah always says that to me and it's never true, there's probably, I'm probably in a ditch on one of those words. Exaggeration at inappropriate times. Conflict between verbal and nonverbal communication. Raise your hand if you use text messaging. Okay. Recently, particularly over the past two... So, so text messaging is a short message or simple message system, SMS, where we just send these simple Text messages. It's what started with simple text messages. Are any of you the people who... Do you email text? Like, like you... Just admit it. Are you, are you that person? The person who's like types a long, 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 long text because you've decided to make SMS like something else? It's supposed to be a simple, short message, right? And it's just text. It's, it's, it's like my thing because it's just, it's just the words, right? Don't look at how I said it. Look at what I said. Like, ah, yes. And then they introduced emojis. <laughs> it's like, you're killing me, Smalls. But think about what that does. Think about, just for a minute, think about what that does to a text message. It adds what? I'm not down on them. It adds what? What's that? It adds emotion, right? Emoji. What else? It adds, there's this feeling. It adds maybe a tone, right? There's a difference between the smiling emoji, the laughing emoji, but then there's a laughing emoji with the tears, right? There's a like crack. It adds feeling. Why? Because there's, there is something that is to be said with facial expression and our, our nonverbal communication. In counseling, we call this halo data, halo data. So it's the data that, you know, just comes into the room when the counselee comes and sits slouched in the chair, and I say... So, are you both, are you, are you happy to be here? You do, yep. So, the halo data doesn't matter. The nonverbal communication doesn't match the verbal communication. Um, emojis add a, a non-textual, is that a word? A, a non-text-based uh, meaning to a text message and therefore enhances that text message. So it's not all about words, Peter. It's not all about just the content. It's your nonverbal communication as well. It's not just the words. It's the attitude. It's the tone. Distinguishing the real message. Enuendo. This is another form of falsehood. We could add enuendo to our, real, to our message, which makes the message somewhat different from what the actual truth is. This is all the stuff that we're wanting to put off. Okay. Because we must speak the truth. We must speak the truth. And this means that the person is giving the facts as they actually are without intending to withhold something or twist something or come off in a different way. 
So while telling the truth doesn't mean you have to describe every single detail, it requires you to give enough facts for the message to be communicated in an accurate way. Problems can't be solved unless they're expressed. People can't read minds. So, oh, I got ahead of myself. Sorry about that. We must speak the truth because we are members of one another. Okay, do you see that? I want you to see that in verse 25. We must speak the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak. We have to speak. Speak the truth with his neighbor. And then there's a, there's a fault there. For hey, we're members of one another. Now, if Paul was just interested in you just getting it done, just speak the truth for crying out loud, right? He could have ended the sentence right after, speak the truth with one another. But he follows up by saying, hey, because we're members of one another. Okay, we are part of a body. We need to speak truth because we're connected. Now, this is true for any two believers, any two Christians. They're part of a a body of Christ, right? If they're part of, I mean, it could be the visible body of Christ within the local church or the invisible body of Christ because they're just two Christians in the world, but they're part of the body of Christ. Think of how important it is. Like I said, it's not just a marriage verse, but how important it is in a marriage. Right? Let's say there's 100 people in a room. This is just simple math. There's 100 people in a room, and two are just kind of not with it. They're not united with the group. We're at 98% unity. Right? How many people in a marriage? Let's say one of them doesn't act like they are members of that body. That's a big deal. That's some serious division. We need to remember that we are members of one another. And that's one of the reasons that we are to speak truth. Because it builds up the body. It builds up a relationship. We are members of one another. And because of that, we have to speak the truth in the context of love. We must speak the truth in the context of love. If you look back at Ephesians 4 verse 15... This is when Paul talks about speaking the truth in love for the purpose of what that crane is supposed to do. Build up. We're to build up one another to being more like Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's for the purpose of building up. Rule number two. So there's be honest. Rule number two is keep current. Keep current. I want you to take a look at verses 26 and 27. It's kind of funny in, uh, to be on this, look at the slide and say, be angry and do, yet do not sin are like in all caps, where we live in a day and age where that's screaming, right? Anyway, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Doesn't that sound a little dramatic, right? Do you want to kind of look at Paul and be like, hey, all right, calm down. Wow, really? Like, Keep current. Don't give the devil an opportunity. You got a speaker. The devil's going to have an opportunity. Ah, okay. I got to go. Paul means it. Paul means it. God means it. See, keeping current is important because we're using anger to solve today's problems today. So, that verse that's before you in your Bibles that says, Be angry and do not sin. Or, In your anger, do not sin. It dispels the myth that to be angry, 
you are in sin. So that's not true. <clears throat> to be angry does not mean that you are in sin. Okay? And earlier in our marriage, um, you hear a lot about this earlier in our marriage stuff. Earlier in our marriage, I remember when we were talking about whether or not anger was a sin and it's not sinful for me to be angry and all this other stuff. I would always reference, what would I reference of Jesus? You tell me. Yeah, the money changing the, te- the, money changing the temple. He flipped over, t- and I was thinking, hey, listen, Jesus flipped over tables, all right? So far, I flipped over a collective zero tables, okay? So I'm like way before Jesus, and Jesus went to that. That was not literally what I was saying, but that's what I was, Jesus flipped over tables. It wasn't angry. It's sinful to be angry. Like way to bring up the one thing of Jesus' earthly ministry that shows that he really was angry. Like, was G- would you say Jesus was ever angry? And the answer is what, yes or no? Yes. Was Jesus characterized by angry, anger? Was Jesus an angry person? Would you describe him as an angry person? No. So it's not sinful to be angry. But if you're angry, be careful. It's not sinful to be angry, but wow. When anger, when, when anger comes into our lives and we are angry, even if we're angry over something that's, that's it's a righteous indignation, we are never too far Anger isn't a sin, but it really walks closely to a lot of sins, right? It's not, it's not a huge leap from anger to an outburst of wrath. It's not a huge leap from anger to hurting someone with your words. It's not a huge leap from anger to somebody even hurting somebody physically or putting their fist through a wall. That's not a huge leap. So in your anger, that's why Paul says, be angry. Anger's not a bad thing, but do not sin. Not do not be angry, but do not Sin. Sometimes our anger can be used of God to solve today's problems today. And that's what verse 26 focuses on when it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay? Do not make excuses for failing to communicate. Okay, now let's talk about this whole sun going down on your anger thing. Okay? Because what does that mean? Is that literal? What happens if I get angry before the sun sets? Technically, the sun is always up somewhere. Right? Think about that. That'll have you flipping out. You'll lose sleep over that. Ah! Like, and it's always setting somewhere. So, ah, I don't know. So what is, what is the point of what Paul is saying there? What do I think it is? Do I think he literally means a sunset? I don't. I do think he literally means before you retire for the day. I do think he literally means deal with today, today. Right? Elsewhere in Scripture, we say tomorrow is... There's enough problems tomorrow to worry about them tomorrow. Let's deal with today, today. Do not let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. Now, I've told you enough self-depreciating things about me in our marriage, and there's more. Fuck, don't worry about it. Um, but here's one thing that I can say by God's grace. Um, in the almost 14 years that we've been married, uh, we have always gone to bed in the same bed. Uh, and not the whole, fine, fine, you know what I mean? Like facing the opposite ways as if you're in two separate beds. Because we've taken this rule in particular really seriously, and it served us well. Not a perfect marriage. This rule is something we've kind of majored on, and I believe it served us well. And I think it's important to, I guess a worldly way of saying it would be keep short accounts, right, with people in your life, including but not limited to, a marriage. Now, in your notes, it says, do not make excuses for failing to communicate. 
So uh, some of those could be, so these are some common communication, what we're calling communication cutoffs, okay? But I'll, I'll give you caveats and some statements with uh, everything that's, that's said here, okay? Common communication cutoffs. These things cut off communication or run the risk of cutting off communication. So crying. What did you learn at the counseling conference, sweetheart? I learned that it's a sin to cry. No, that's not, there's no crying in marriage. No, that's, that's not what we're saying. It's a couple of baseball fans. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is just be careful to make sure that you are not choosing to manipulate somebody with your tears. Does that, does that make sense? You can manipulate somebody with your tears. It's not saying if you cry, you're in sin. That's not saying that, we're not saying that at all. But it could be a communication cutoff. I've seen situations um, and seen marriages where this person knows that this person gets really uncomfortable when this person cries and that she, uh, I revealed it, she is admitted to intentionally manipulating situations and trying to get her way out of, of talking about it by just, just emoting, uncontrollably emoting, and then he holds back, even though he, he shouldn't, but he's like, oh, I got it, yeah, we got to go, we're not going to talk about this, cuts off communication. Crying is not a sin, but it could be a communication cutoff. Threatening an explosion, Okay? I'm just going to lose it. If we go, if I, baby, if we go there, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lose it. It's going to go, I'm like this close. That's not exactly painting the welcome mat that we want in front of our lives to talk about things. But that's another way that we can cut off communication. It's, good, we're, we're, it's been such a nice night. Baby, really? I just, it's, it, we're gonna, you know we're going to go. Threatening an explosion. Um, using a bottom line statement is a bottom line statement. So what you say is the last word. Look, I'm going to say one more thing, and that's it. Look, all I have to say is this. These are common communication cutoffs that we want to avoid and that we want to help our counselees avoid. Leaving the room or the home. <laughs> Usually when I laugh and say something, you know a story's coming. So leaving the room or the home. So that, Sarah, I don't know if you've ever heard the term fight or flight. Have you, have you heard that term? So I'm like, let's, we're going we're gonna to solve this, and we're going to solve it. To, to, to no matter what time it is. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're going to stay up till two in the morning, even if it means we're going to have to solve it. And that used to be me, the night owl. Sarah's flight. So earlier in our marriage, we would both, it's funny now. It really, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't laugh at sin. We shouldn't laugh at sin. But it is kind of funny now. So when I look back, um, I realize we were both in very sinful ditches. I'm like, heck no, we're going to solve it now. It doesn't matter if we're emotional and tired and hungry and hangry and this, and we have to get up early in the morning. It doesn't matter. God would have us solve it now. And Sarah would be like, she literally would leave the room. She would leave the house. Do I strike you as somebody who would handle that like so well? No. She she just walk out. She would just walk out. And that's a communication cutoff. And that's what she did to me. I have a very hard life. I suffer. So that's one thing that, I mean, we would, we would wrestle with that. There's more rules for me to tell you that I've broken too. We need to deal with problems quickly. We need to deal with problems quickly. Matthew 6.34. I've kind of alluded to this before. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. We need to deal with problems quickly. Um, Questions to ask before bringing up a problem. Okay, And this is important because do we really need to talk about every problem? Every problem? Like... Sarah thinks I closed the door a little too loud. 
she knows I didn't mean it, but it's on her mind. She's got to let, no, don't let the sun go down on her wrath. And, and I'll even, so in the Greek, do not let the sun go down on your wrath really is do not let the sun go down on that which provokes you. So it's easy to want to avoid problems saying, well, I'm not really angry. I'm just really hurt and annoyed. <laughs> yeah, God wants you to talk about that too. It's not just anger. It's, is it, heh. Eh, what's kind of gnawing at you? The person walks in the room and you're like, oh, there she is. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, this. Do not let the sun go down on your provocation, that which provokes you. How do we know if we need to bring up a problem? Well, here's some questions to ask before uh, we bring it up. Number one, do I have the facts right? Do I have the facts right? Proverbs 18:13. he who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. I committed this verse to memory one year when the Lord convicted me that this was a major area of sin in my life. I knew what I thought about something before I had the facts. I mean, I could listen, and you might tell me something that maybe I know, but I kind of already know. That, that was my MO, my attitude in life and ministry. I was a real joy to be around. Do I have the facts right? Should love hide it? Is it sinful? Is it hindering growth? So, Keep your finger in Ephesians 4. Look at 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4. I want you to see that in your copy of the Scriptures. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? The greatest example of love that has ever covered a multitude of sins is the love that God has for his people. The greatest example of love that ever covered a multitude of sins is the love of Christ that if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, that brings a smile to our face because we know that we are not being treated as our sins deserve. We know that the word says that our sins have been, as they're separated, they're as far as what? The east is from the west, right? How far is that? They never meet, okay? That, that's, that's like the ultimate hyperbole to get us to understand just what it means, just what God sees and counts against us. They're, they're separated as far as the east is from the west. That's how far our iniquity is from us. Thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ. That's what it means if love can cover a multitude of sins. That your love for the other person is so much and so strong that it so overshadows this little thing that it's, it cover, it's, I don't even think about it. I don't even see it. It doesn't provoke me. It doesn't gnaw at me. It kind of, I noticed it, but it's not a big deal. It's as far as the east is from the west. I'm not trying to talk you out of this. I'm just saying make sure you mean it. And you're not trying to avoid conflict. You're not trying to avoid talking to somebody about, well, I don't have to talk to him about it because I love him. That's probably not what we're talking about. I love you, so I'm not going to talk to you about this. Hmm. No, it's I love you. I love you more than what just happened. It's not, it's not bothering me. We don't need to resolve anything because nothing is broken. We don't need to fix anything because nothing's broken as far as the east is from the west. When God the Father looks down on me, he sees the record of his son. He doesn't see Peter's sin. So I ask myself, is that the kind of love that I can look at Sarah and say, when I look at Sarah, I don't see this issue that just happened. It's it's not even there. It's not even there. But if it is, you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. Question number three, is my timing right? 
For me, no, like, like never. It was never right. It used to never be right. Is my timing right? Proverbs 15 and verse 23 says, A man has joined an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Is my timing right? When it's really, now I don't know about you, I'm getting into marriage again. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the biggest issues in our marriage happen at the three most inconvenient times. On my way to work, on my way to church, on my way to bed. That is when the devil attacks my marriage the most. It's never when we're just sitting around on a really empty Saturday and it's just the kids are playing outside and we're sitting around and we have nothing to really talk about that all of a sudden an issue arises and we think, oh, comma, what a great time for us to deal with this issue. Let us deal with it now. Yes, let's. On my way to work, I'm about to go out the door. On our way to church, right, fighting in the driveway. On your way to bed, we got to go to bed. Things come up. Is my timing right? Do I think, well, at 11 o'clock at night, when I'm tired, need to get up the next morning, I'm constantly looking at the clock, realizing how little sleep I'm going to get, I'm thinking about that, do I think, well, the answer is no. <laughs> Sorry. Here it comes. So Sarah used to say, um, I think we're just being emotional. I would say, I'm not being emotional. <laughs> really? Like that's, I remember just saying that. She's like, we're just, we're just emoting. I was like, I'm not emoting. Maybe you're emoting. Is my timing right? Can it really be solved right now? Or does the legalist over here say, no, the sun go down on your wrath. We're not going to end. I went to, an, I went to a biblical counseling conference in 2000, and I know that we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our wrath. Is your timing right? Is my attitude right? Am I trying to help the other person or nail them? Okay. Am I trying to help them? Am I communicating truth in a loving way that builds them up? I want to help my friend see this because he's not going to be, he's not going to be pleasing Christ as well if he doesn't see this. And I want to help him grow. Sarah wants to help me see my sin so that I can repent and so that I can please the Lord. Or is Sarah just so sick of dealing with a fallen creature as a husband. The latter will produce different communication than the former. If Christ is not on my mind as I speak to somebody, buckle up. But if Christ is on my mind, if my, if my attitude is right, if I want to build someone up, like we looked in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, that's going to have an effect on how I speak. Are my words loving? Okay, once again, same thing, Ephesians 4.15. If I chosen loving words, um, because that's going to lead us to our next, our next rule. Okay, real fast, because this was really helpful to us. It might be helpful to you. I want to tell you what we do um, at times when we can't resolve the conflict immediately. Okay, so particularly, let's say it's late at night, and we're not, I mean, we're not screaming and yelling, but it's just not, it's just, mm, so close. Oh, mm, so, mm, it's just not, it's just not happening. So we can do old Peter, which is like, we're going to stay up until we solve this problem. And Sarah's like, no, we're really not. And I'm like, what do you mean we're really not? Don't, why don't you love Jesus? And just do that. And then, so then Sarah, would, then Sarah would give me the one-word answers that I know aren't true, which, again, I love. So, so she, would, she would, you know, tell me what I want to hear. But I know that, like, a second ago she was against that. And now all of a sudden she's like, you're right, I, I see it. I'm like, ah! Like, so that would make it even worse. So we had an awesome first few years of marriage. And... Let's say there's times when we just can't. We're just missing it. It's just not happening. Okay? That's when one of us looks at the other person and says, Look, it's late. 
This just isn't happening. And what we try to do is we affirm the things that we know about each other and that we know about the Lord that aren't going to change, basically reminding each other that this is not going to be our undoing. So if I'm the one to do that to Sarah, I look at her, I take her hands. It's hard to, most, just it's no Bible, but it's hard to be really, really frustrated and angry with somebody. There's something about physical contact. We sit down on the couch as opposed to this in the two corners of the kitchen. We sit down on the same seating apparatus. We face each other. This is really hard because you're in the heat of it, right? And Sarah has this scowl where every muscle from her neck up comes right here. And it's just, it's, it's anyway, it's kind of cute but scary. <laughs> you would think it's cute. I, it's scary. Listen. It's late. We're both emotional. <laughs> Not it's late. You're really emotional. <laughs> I'm pretty level-headed, but you seem to be, so I want to serve you. <laughs> no, it's late. We're both emotional. We're not helping one another right now. I love you. You love me. God loves us. God's for us. We're going to be okay. Let's talk about it at a better time. If I'm leading that, Sarah does what I call the Sarah sigh. It's out through the nose. Shoulders come down. Okay. Now, we haven't solved the issue, but remember, do not let the sun go down on that which provokes you. There's a sense of relief. We're on the same page. We're the same couple. We're Peter and Sarah. We're still on the same team. This is not going to be our undoing. Let's pick it up tomorrow. So instead of, fine, fine, you want to go to bed? Fine, you go to bed, fine. And go to bed, one on the couch, one in the bedroom. Or fine, fine, turn off the lights. We don't want that. We want this. Okay. Now that's not, okay, woo, high fives. No. It's, it's still hard. It's still difficult. But it's peace, right? It's peace. It's not provoking. It's not provoking. There's been an olive branch extended to somebody. Look, we're not going to solve this today. I really want to solve it. Let's get to it at a time when we're not going to have, you know, dark circles under our eyes when we can think straight. That's, that's looking in a godly, practical way of not letting the sun go down on your wrath because oftentimes problems occur at times when they can't be solved immediately. Um, have I prayed for God's help? That's hard to also do immediately. Hold on a minute. God, help me say this. Like, that also takes some time. Okay? That takes some time. It doesn't take hours, but it takes some, takes some time. Let's not let the sun go down on our wrath. Let's not let the sun go down on that which provokes us. Let's, not, let's grow very uncomfortable. I would encourage you to grow very uncomfortable with something that is pending. I would encourage you to operate within your relationships with a... Uh, a I use this word around the staff sometimes, a high need for closure, a bias for action. A high need for closure, I don't want, and a bias for action, I don't want something to be open, pending. I don't want to do that. I want to at least tie it off, put a pin on it, write it down so it's not on my, I just, I want to do something so that I don't feel like it's just hanging there. I don't know what's going to happen. That's what that does. On my way to work, same thing. Listen, we can't talk about it now. Love you. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Okay, we'll be okay. And Sarah does that for me, and I do that for her. 
Okay, rule number three, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the, first, the person. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Okay, so it's not just speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in a way that is goal-oriented, that's driven by solution, that I want to attack this issue, not the person, okay? So we need to avoid what the Bible calls unwholesome speech, okay? Unwholesome speech or corrupting talk. It depends on your, your translation. We need to avoid that, okay? And those are words that attack a person's character. Those are words that attack a person's character, okay? This is the difference between saying, I think uh, what you did was unwise, and I think you are dumb. But, well, uh, wait, okay? But one attacks a person's character. You're saying, this is, you are that per you are this. You are the, the sin that you need to put off, that's who you are. That attacks a person's character and automatically puts someone on the defensive as opposed to talking about the issue. So here's the issue. We're supposed to be focused on the issue. But if Sarah comes at me and says, it doesn't, it, what she, she thinks what I did was unwise. The way I handled the situation was unwise. The way I handled the uh, parenting situation was unwise. Then we can talk. About, she'll say, I think this is unwise. I'm going to say, well, why do you think it's unwise? It looks, looks yellow to me. And she'll say, well, but here's the thing. You don't understand. There's spots here and there's, oh, okay, we're talking about the thing, right? The thing. So if Sarah says to me, says, I think you're unwise. Now it's like, what? Like, there's, wait a minute. I'm unwise. It's almost like two kids in the park, like chest bumping. What do you mean I'm unwise? Who are you calling me unwise? It's not, it, then it got personal and we're not, we've totally forgotten about the, the thing, right? Why do you think I'm unwise? You think I'm just always unwise? Then always and never's come in. Well, you always do that. I don't always do that. I think I've only done that once in the past week. And we're just distracted. And there's the thing. The thing. We haven't spoken about the thing. Because we're just attacking character. And she attacked my character. And then I defended my honor. Avoid unwholesome words that attack a person's character. And do damage to bananas. Matthew 5. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. So there you see that, that what God is doing in his word there is saying, hey, these things are really serious. People take murder really seriously, but people typically put unwholesome talk on a lower level. And they say, that's really sad, but it's not murder. And God's saying, it's the same thing. I view it as the same. That's how seriously I take this. Words that tear down or rip apart or hinder growth. Because remember, we want to grow up one another. We want to build up one another. So words that tear down. This is unwholesome talk. James chapter 3. We won't spend time there because we looked at that in the beginning. Words that confuse the discussion or bypass the conflict. Okay, speech that is used in such a way that doesn't really focus on the matter. It's kind of when it gets personal. When you attack a person, it gets personal. We've forgotten about the thing. We're supposed to talk about the thing, but it doesn't happen. Um, words that grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, okay? When do you grieve? When someone what? When someone dies. The Holy Spirit is grieved. Something died. When somebody speaks in an unwholesome manner to somebody else. Think of how you feel when a loved one dies. That's how the Holy Spirit, he's 
breathed awe when he sees people communicate with one another in a way that is unwholesome. Now, that's not to say, like, stop making the, would you stop making the Holy Spirit feel bad? But that's how serious it is, like a, like a death, not an eye roll. Who rolls their eyes when granny dies? No, it, oh, I loved her. Oh, I love him. Grieved by unwholesome words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, use edifying words that encourage others and, and builds them up. Our words are supposed to encourage growth. Encourage growth. Okay, I think Brad was in here last. Did he do the, hey, honey, can you help me with something thing, right? It's kind of funny, but even, even that approach is, I want to, can you what? Can you help me? It's not check you out. Let me tell you what your issue is. No, it's can you help me? I need help. I want to help you. Help should be used in our speech. We should want to help one another. Words that are supposed to encourage growth. Words are supposed to fit the need. Okay, so we see that in verse uh, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of Excuse me. No, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So what I'm about to say, is it going to build up? Is it fitting the occasion? Is it appropriate? And will it impart grace? And the result of this is going to be grace. Grace to the person who hears it. Now, when this rule is obeyed with respect to problem solving, words will be solution-oriented and accompanied with the right tone and body language. Um, Rule number four, act, don't react. Act, don't react. So, um, we have be honest, we have keep current, we have attack the problem, not the person, and then act, don't react. And that's based on verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness Wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgives, has forgiven you. Okay? Quickly now, we must guard against sinful reactions in our hearts and our actions. Okay? Bitterness. We're going to go through that list in verse 31. This is what is being spoken of there. This is what we're supposed to put off, right? Verse 31 says, let this be put away from you. Bitterness. That's the state of resentment, a desire to think about and treat someone according to evil, bitterness, okay? Wrath, that's intense anger that normally results in passionate outbursts. Hey, brother, can you give me a chair? Just give me the chair at the end of that. Don't displace someone. That would be rude, but just thank you. I forget if it's easier to take it off that side of the row or the other. Wonderful, okay? I'm just feeling like sitting. No, there's there's a purpose for this. Thank you. Okay, bitterness, wrath, um, anger, settled indignation or hostility that frequently seeks revenge. Clamor, loud screaming and shouting. It's usually associated with quarreling or brawling. These are the things we're putting off, right? Slander, okay? Profane or abusive speech, okay? Slander is painting somebody in an unnecessarily bad light. There's your working definition for slander. It's not in your notes. Slander is speech that paints someone in an unnecessarily bad light, okay? So if you say something that is true about someone else and it's unfortunate that it's true and it's a sin, that's not slander. But slander is when I'm speaking to somebody about somebody else and it, 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 it paints them in a bad light. It leaves them with a bad impression of somebody, okay? Gossip, real fast, I'll give you this. Gossip 
is speaking to somebody about someone else who is not part of the solution. Speaking to someone about someone else who is not part of the solution. Okay, no, no, I know you can't really help, but I just, I just wanted to tell you this because it's really on my heart. I just need to let it out, okay? Or how do Christians go- gossip? I'm just telling you because I wanted you to. Yes. Right. That's gossip. Slander, malice, wickedness in the sense of a desire to harm the person, okay? And where instead we're supposed to... Um, so here's what I want you to realize. This is why I brought the chair up. <clears throat> that list that we just went through... Okay, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Okay, all of those I think are natural reactions. Okay, do you ever go to the doctor? Doctor takes that hammer. What does he do? I really am alive. There it is. Okay, it's just, guess what? I don't know if you realize this. I'm not even, you might be very impressed with my multitasking right now. I'm not even thinking about doing this. Isn't that crazy? Hey, you're welcome. It's a natural reflex. I don't have to think about it. There's a nerve there. If I hit it, my leg's going to move. Whoever says, I think I'm going to explode. I'm going to explode. Yeah, now. I'm going to explode now. I know what I'll do. Uh, I think I will scream. Wait. Now. It's a reaction. They're natural, knee-jerk reactions. That's why we say act, don't react. I think I'll be embittered for years. I think I'll do that. That just happens, folks. People don't plan that. Particularly Christians don't plan that. Maybe other people say, I'm going to hold a grudge. But usually when it happens to Christians, God-loving, Jesus-loving Christians, it just happens because they haven't purposed to do something else. That list in verse 31 are reactions, that we need to put off because they're just going to happen. If that nerve is struck, that leg's kicking up, you don't have to think about it. It's a reaction. Verse 31, those are the things we put off. So when we say, there it is, when we say act, don't react, we need to put these things off because we need to guard against our natural reactive tendency to be defensive about dealing with our own sins or our natural reactionary tendencies to do these things, to be bitter, to be angry, to explode. Um, I'm going to skip this and move ahead. Sinful arguments are possible only if the person, if each person reacts. Not acts, reacts. Sinful arguments are possible when each person reacts. So we need to seek to apply godly actions and attitudes. And that is kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Don't miss that. Verse 32 takes it right back to the cross. That gets my attention. It's not be kind to one another because you should be kind. Who doesn't want to be kind? You want to be kind? Oh, sure you do. It's, hey, remember Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done for you. He's been kind. He's tenderhearted. He's forgiven you. And listen, folks, nobody is kind by accident. Just smack the knee of your heart your whole life. You're never going to be tenderhearted by accident. You're never going to forgive someone by accident. That takes planning. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. We're motivated by God's forgiveness of us. Be honest. Keep current. Attack the problem, not the person. Act, don't react. Well... 
You guys have been very, very attentive as I've been hopping around up here. Um, we are running about five minutes late, so I'm going to dismiss you to your homes and hotels, and I'll send you off with a word of prayer and just say that I've enjoyed being with you, and I look forward to being with you again uh, tomorrow. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity to open up your word. We're grateful for the time that we get to spend with each other and that you would use people like us to help others. Lord, that we might be found uh, able to counsel others from your word, not from our own wisdom or our own experience, but from your word, which never fails, ever. We are so grateful for you, Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with each of us as we travel home to our, or to our hotels. I pray that you would uh, give us a great, uh, deep, sound sleep for the little amount of sleep that we get to have before we have to be here tomorrow morning when we look forward to hearing from you and you equipping us to serve and minister to the saints. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.